And hello, welcome back to another episode of the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR number 67. Today we are doing our New England Patriots 2022 season preview. Uh, yesterday we put out our Buffalo Bills preview to start our team preview series. I do want to mention, I know I went pretty long on that Bills preview. I'm going to try and trim these down a little bit. You know, we got a little off-season rust, and I'm going to do a little bit less dilly-dallying here. I will jump right into it. Um, I appreciate you guys who got through that Bills episode. Also, I noticed uh, while listening back to it, I had a little bit of audio feedback um, in the background there, and I hope it wasn't too much of a bother. And I'm also hoping that I got that issue resolved today, and this audio is a little bit better. Um, but we're going to continue pushing on through the AFC East, uh, and we're going to jump right into the New England Patriots today. Uh, the Patriots last year uh, finished 10-7. and seven. They were second in the AFC East, and they were the number six seed in the AFC overall, grabbing one of those wild card spots. They also covered at a pretty decent rate. They went 10-7 and seven against the spread as well, uh, which is a 58.8 cover rate. Anything over 52.4 is good enough for me, so I'll take it. Um, they ended the season in the wild card round with a 47-17 whooping by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we talked about that on yesterday's episode. Uh, not much to dive into. You know, this offense just didn't have it to keep up with Buffalo. And, I mean, you're facing a top five defense and the number one overall, uh, excuse me, top five offense, number one overall defense. I mean, you know, congrats to New England for making the playoffs. I know a lot of people didn't have high expectations for this team last year, and I think they ex exceeded them. I think they're, you know, still a little disrespected going into this season as well. Uh, this is one of the more consistent teams um, going back over the last 25 years. And I know Brady's not there, but Belichick isn't any uh, dummy, you know, over there. And I, I, Mac Jones is competent. They had that down year with Cam Newton. You know, you try winning a game with Cam Newton. It's not easy. Um, but Mac looks, you know, capable and, you know, maybe, maybe looking to take that year two leap. So we'll see. The offense was actually... Uh, pretty solid last year in terms of efficiency. It was mainly predicated on the power run game, but let's dive into the numbers. They actually finished six in points per game at 27.2. Uh, like I said, very efficient in terms of uh, scoring. Um, they were middle of the pack, 15th in yards per game with 353.4. But again, you know, you play clean football, you, you keep a good turnover margin, tied for eighth best in the league at plus seven turnovers. You know, you play effective, Mac Jones, you know, not turnover heavy, and you lean on the run game and the defense. That's how you win football games in New England. Uh, so the defense, second in points per game, you know, shocker. Bill Belichick has a good defense again. Um, they really bounced back well. You know, they had a lot of opt-outs for COVID and a lot of injuries in uh, 2020. And last year, they really got back to that true Patriot form. Fourth in yards per game at 310. And I mentioned uh, tied for eighth best turnover margin with plus seven. That's a winning formula. So it's no surprise that this team was able to just grind out wins and, you know, manage to get into the tournament. And I think it might be a similar path this year. I think this team, you know, I talked yesterday about how confident I am the Bills probably win that division if they can stay healthy. And I think the Patriots are just going to kind of, you know, level out maybe around that 10 or 11 win mark again this year and they could find themselves just clawing their way into a wild card spot and it's a team it's it's a situation where all bill belichick needs is to get into the tournament and then you're dancing right you got a puncher's chance in every round at that point so let's talk about some of the turnover that this team has had 
And you know, I actually, this is the team that I did my notes on last because I was waiting for some things to play out a little bit with the coaching staff and we just haven't gotten any answers and I just can't delay this anymore. You know, we're in the dog days and I'm getting you guys the content you need for the back end of July here. So with the coaching staff, what I'm talking about is they still have not. And again, recording July 21st, Belichick hasn't named an offensive or a defensive coordinator for this team. Um, they did, you know, shake up the coaching staff quite a bit, but it is just a hodgepodge, you know, cornucopia of assistant coaches and vague titles when you go to their coaching staff page. Uh, the two most significant, I guess, moves um, for this team at the coaching staff that I want to bring up is, you know, two big names, two former head coaches, two of the main branches of the Belichick coaching tree and two of the main examples of failed branches in the Belichick coaching tree. Joe Judge is back with the team after a pretty miserable run as head coach of the New York Giants. He was a longtime special teams coordinator and assistant head coach in the Patriots organization before going to New York. Two years there, um, you know, not any success at all, and now he's back. He is actually, though, not um, the special teams coordinator anymore. He is an offensive assistant. He's not the offensive coordinator. They haven't called a play call or haven't named a play caller yet, but Joe Judge is an offensive assistant. It's kind of a scary thought that that could be the guy calling the plays for this team, but it's very vague right now. Again, Belichick could be the play caller for this team. I've heard rumors that he's spending more time with the offense this offseason than he usually does. Makes sense to me trying to develop the young QB in his second year. And I think, you know, we'll get to it. They're trying to shake things up a little offensively this year. But again, we don't know who's going to be calling plays for this team. And that is a pretty wild thing to be saying in, you know, the third week of July here. So the other coaching change that I wanted to mention, Matt Patricia is in the building. And I believe he was on the defensive coaching staff last year. Uh, this year, he has shifted into a senior football advisor role. So again, who fucking knows what that means? Um, I don't, I can't give you any speculation. It's just weird that the, the coaching picture in New England is so foggy right now. And really the only sense of uh, security or, or continuity that we have is we know Bill's in charge. And as long as Bill's in charge, you know, you really can't, you can't doubt that he, you know, he's got to have a plan. The guy has a plan. The guy has a plan every year, uh, except for when he's dealing with Cam Newton. Um, but it's weird right now. You know, we can't really dive into it more than that. It's weird. We're going to have to continue to wait. We don't have an offensive or a defensive coordinator named right now. Um, you think Steve Belichick, Bill's son, the uh, ragtag-looking dude in the, uh, with the mullet over there on the sidelines, you'd think he would continue to have an expanded role in that defensive room. But, again, who's calling the plays on both sides of the ball? We don't know. So let's get into the personnel. Those are things that we do know at this point in the year. Um, biggest loss for this team was cornerback J.C. Jackson, who really has emerged as one of the better man-on-man -man corners in this league. You know, we've seen New England um, do this at a couple positions, and I'll get into They've really have excelled at this in the cornerback and the running back position throughout the last 20x years. Um, they continue to recycle cornerback ones and then just will not pay them and then just move on and get a cheaper deal and then, and then turn that cheaper player into a stud and then release him and just continues. It's a never-ending cycle. You can go all the way back to Ty Law. You know, you go to Asante Samuel. Um, you go to Aqib Tlaib. They rented Darrell Revis for a year, got a Super Bowl out of him. 
um, they have really, uh, and then we we get into the you know the Malcolm Butler and the Stefan Gilmore and then the J.C. Jackson, and they just continue to do this. And you, when a team has that kind of success in a proven formula over that long of a stretch, you really just have to stop questioning it, I guess. But the thing is, this time. Um, they did not bring in like a younger replacement. They did not really draft a guy to immediately step into that role. They just re-signed Malcolm Butler on a cheap deal. So I think, you know, the the corner duo of Malcolm Butler and Jalen Mills is a competent one, and they have two good safeties with Devin McCourty and Kyle Duggar. But overall, it's a little peculiar to me, excuse me as I stumble over that word, um, that they did not franchise tag this guy and then just let him walk to sign with the L.A. Chargers, who is a team that made a lot of moves specifically on that defense. Um, but J.C. Jackson, big loss for them because that's a dominant man-to-man corner who generate a lot of turnovers for this team that uh, they will no longer have. Center Ted Karras has also left the building. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy, believe he went over to the Chargers as well. And that surprised me a little bit because he's been a very consistent leader for this team. And, you know, their uh, their linebacking core, to me, looking a little shaky this year. They also lost Dante Hightower. Um, he's currently unsigned, which is a little strange to me as well. He's been there for a long time. I believe former first-round pick out of Alabama. Uh, so Van Noy and Hightower both leaving in the same offseason. And the names that they have currently on the the depth chart I'm not in love with. Jawan Bentley, former fifth round pick in 2018, and Mac Wilson, another guy that really hasn't made a huge impact in the league. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest question mark for me on this defense. Let's keep moving. Running back Brandon Bolden followed former offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel over to the Raiders and actually got overpaid to them. It's going to be interesting to see how he's used, maybe spilling into some of Josh Jacobs' carries this year. Uh, This is one that I want to talk about for sure. Actually, I'll save this until the end. We got two more players. Safety Brandon King and wide receiver Gunnar Ozluski, excuse me, uh, both left. Ozluski went over to the Steelers. He's a little shifty white guy slot receiver, kind of Belichick's bread and butter. You know, I was thinking maybe he wants this guy to be the next Edelman, uh, but he's in Pittsburgh right now. Um, let's go back. Fullback Jacob Johnson is no longer on this roster. And, uh, you know, you guys might not be that excited about my conversation about fullbacks, um, but it's an important to address here, I think, philosophically for this Patriots team. Um they don't have a fullback on the roster right now, and and I mentioned that this offense was mainly predicated on the power run scheme, not only last year, but for a number of years in New England. I mean, even Brady's teams, if you go back to the runs that they had with Corey Dillon, and then in the 2000s, LeGarrette Blunt was a monster force that really set up the play action and allowed the uh, Patriots to control the tempo of games and, you know, at times... Um, you know, really grind out opponents in the second half, let their defense and their run game kind of take control. And that's a, that's an element that I think maybe they're kind of moving away from with this team philosophically. I, again, I mentioned Belichick's been spending more time with the offense this summer, and I think they could be making an overall philosophical change to try and kind of adjust to the modern NFL. I mean, you have a powerhouse offense like the Buffalo Bills in your division, and I'm not sure Belichick is comp. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Content with playing that old school smash mouth, you know, drag them out. I mean, you saw they got they got buried in the wild card 47 to 17. And I think Belichick looked at that loss and said, man, 
you know, we're not going to be able to get past Buffalo if we don't really up our arsenal a little bit. So I'll dive back into this as we talk about a couple of their draft picks that I'm going to want to bring up. But for me, a philosophical change is not out of the question here as you remove the fullback and then try and add some young speed to this offense to support your second year quarterback. So key additions to this team this offseason. Uh, main one that I guess we'll talk about, and this goes into, again, trying to support the development of Mac Jones in his second year. They go out and provide him with a veteran receiver who can, who can uh, you know, um, not so much create separation, but win those jump ball battles, uh, which I think is a piece that they need in this offense. Devontae Parker, they went and traded for from the Miami Dolphins. It's a little bit unusual that teams trade within the division, but they only gave up a, uh, well, actually, never mind. Uh, they got Parker in a fifth round pick in 2022 for a third round pick in 2023. So third round, decent investment, but you know what? I think uh, it's a, it's a, worthy gamble to try and get Mac Jones that security blanket and a veteran receiver. I mentioned they also brought back Malcolm Butler. He's penciled in as one of the starting corners alongside Jalen Mills in that secondary. Uh, running back wide receiver hybrid Ty Montgomery is a guy that they picked up. I wanted to mention he hasn't done much in his career. He's been used sparingly with the Packers and the Saints as a pass catching running back. He was a wide receiver at Alabama converted into running back. I only really bring him up and spend time on him because Belichick has a tendency to use guys with a unique skill set exactly how they need to be used. And it's just another depth piece on this offense that has a potential to not necessarily be fantasy relevant, but maybe just contribute on a uh, uh, random kind of uh, gadget play here, special teams contribution there type, type guy. Another guy I, I'm interested in for this team um, is safety Jabril Peppers. Uh, he was a guy with a lot of hype. He was actually a Heisman candidate, I believe, his senior year at Michigan. Um, has kind of bounced around, I believe, between the Giants and the Cleveland Browns. Not really a superstar in the NFL, but again, a guy with kind of a niche skill set. Can thrive as that overhang defender, playing that strong safety slash outside linebacker hybrid in the box. Cover some tight ends, make some stops in the run game. And I think, again, it's a guy with a niche skill set that Belichick will know how to uh, get the most out of. Similar maybe to how he used to use Patrick Chung as that uh, down-in-the-box safety so that's an interesting move to me. Belichick gets another versatile weapon on the defense. They also bring in cornerback Terrence Mitchell to add some uh, depth to that secondary. And the last addition that I want to bring up is wide receiver Lil Jordan Humphrey. Yes, that is, is his real name. His legal name is L-I-L apostrophe Jordan, Lil Jordan Humphrey. Just one of the cooler names. Um, they brought him in. He was a uh, gadget player slash deep threat for the Saints over the last few years. Not really a guy that's going to be uh, consistently making plays or fantasy relevant, but he's worth bringing up. They re-signed a couple of guys, like I mentioned. Uh, linebacker Jawan Bentley was an extension that they got done. Uh, he's uh, looking like um, penciled in as one of their inside starting linebackers as this team runs a 3-4. Typically, they'll have two inside linebackers on the field. And then offensive tackle Trent Brown, who is one of the better offensive tackles in the league, a uh, real physical specimen at that left tackle position. Um, he got an extension as well, so they held on to him, fortify the O-line for that young quarterback. That's a good segue. We'll get into the draft, and first-round pick is another addition they, that they made to the uh, offensive line. This was one that kind of shook the league a little bit um not only were 
was the internet thrown off by this, but other um, coaches and GMs and executives in the NFL uh, were a little confused by this. Offensive guard Cole Strange was their first-round draft pick. Um, you guys may have seen the viral clip. Uh, who is it? Sean McVay said that they had a, uh, I believe, late third, early fourth round uh, projection for him. And, and Bill Belichick said, fuck it, I want my guy and I'll take him in the first round. We've seen Belichick do this before with players that are not necessarily on everybody's radar and then they turn into really productive players in the NFL. It's questionable. I mean, look, dude, you could have got him like two rounds later. So it's like, I don't know if that's the best use of draft capital. But if this guy turns into a Pro Bowl offensive guard, nobody's going to doubt Belichick five years later. And, you know, I won't be shocked at all. I mean, the guy does look mean. He's a run-blocking offensive guard. Um, looks strong, looks solid. Out of uh, University, Tennessee, Chattanooga. So Belichick really uh, looking at those deep sleepers here, uh, even in the first round of the NFL draft. There's a couple other guys I really want to spend some time on in this draft recap, so we'll get into it. Uh, one of them is round two wide receiver Tyquan Thornton that they drafted out of Baylor. Um, and I mentioned, you know, possibly the, the philosophical uh, change from the smash mouth to the more speed and spread approach. Tyquan Thornton ran the fastest 40-yard dash out of any receiver at the combine this year. He ran a 4-2-8-40 officially. Unofficially, it was a 4-2-1. People thought he broke John Ross's 40 record. Officially, 4-2-8, that's still very fast. Um, they also, in round four, I'll jump ahead, drafted a running back, Pierre Strong, out of South Dakota State. University, and he ran the fastest 40 out of all the running backs at the combine. He ran a 4.37. So between these two guys, again, it looks like they're trying to add some young speed at the skill positions, and the loss of the fullback, you know, investing in the running back and the receiver here, it, it looks to add up to me. I'm sensing a pattern. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the running back maybe in the skill position fantasy breakdown at the end of this episode. So let's just keep plowing through this draft. I'm going to rattle off some names. Round three, cornerback Marcus Jones out of Houston. Round four, cornerback Jack Jones out of Arizona State. Round four, they also picked up a quarterback, uh, Bailey Zappi out of uh, Western Kentucky. And then to cap off the draft recap, they took a second running back here, round six running back Kevin Harris out of South Carolina. So again, the last two picks that I've got documented here are running back Pierre Strong and running back Kevin Harris. Interesting that they took two running backs in this draft when they already have Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. We'll, uh, we'll dive more into that in the fantasy segment as well. So let's jump into their schedule. We have a good pace here. They have the 16th easiest schedule, according to, I think that's pro football focus. Don't remember exactly. I'll double check on that later. Um, let's dive into it. They have the Giants, the Panthers, and the Raiders in the preseason. Interesting, they play the Raiders later in the regular season. They also face them in the preseason. I want to say they try not to do that, um, so that's kind of strange. Anyways, they open the season in Miami. That's always a tough venue for the Patriots traveling down south. I always give Miami an early season advantage playing in that humidity. You know for a fact the Dolphins are going to wear their white uniforms and make the Patriots wear their dark fucking blues down there. And that Florida sun, first week of September, humidity for a northern team traveling down in that heat. Give me the Dolphins. Don't know what the spread is. Give them to me anyways. 
Anyways, let's fly through this. They have the Steelers week two, Ravens week three, Packers week four, Lions, Browns, Bears, Jets. Uh, then they got the Colts, Jets again, Vikings, uh, Buffalo week 13. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, they finish with a stretch of the Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. That's a pretty brutal final six weeks, to be honest. Um, okay, so I know I went through that quick. Let's give you a little bit more detail here. Key matchups I've got, you know, week three against Baltimore. Baltimore is going to be a very relevant team in the AFC. Uh, then they have to go to Green Bay in week four. So that's a tough two games right there, back-to-back -back Baltimore and Green Bay. Traveling for an out-of-conference game on the road in Lambeau, uh, that's going to be tough as well. Uh, week nine, Indian-New England, that's always a good game, kind of a rivalry game, not as heated of a rivalry as it used to be with uh, Tom and, and Peyton, but it's still something, and I think the Colts are going to be a, a playoff team this year. Uh, then week 10, they've got their bye. And we've got a difficult stretch between weeks 13 to 15. Uh, they get the Bills at home week 13. Then they have a, another non-conference road game at Arizona. So they have to travel two time zones over um, to play a non-conference team with an explosive offense. And then they have to go to Las Vegas in week 15. So they have that sandwich. It's Buffalo, Arizona, Las Vegas. And then they also have the Bengals in week 16. They end the season with Buffalo in week 18. That stretch, 13 through 16, Buffalo, Arizona, Las Vegas, Cincinnati. And then they also, um, excuse me, the Cincinnati game is on Christmas Eve. I just want to throw that out there. So that month right there, that four weeks, that's probably crucial to their season right there. That's kind of the make or break stretch, I would say. So now that we dove into that, you know, how many games is this team going to win? Their, their win total is eight and a half. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. I'll gladly take the over on this team. Again, I'm just, uh, you know, give me an, an, an opportunity to bet on Bill Belichick and only win nine games in a season. I talk about this every year with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. The two most consistent franchises over the last 25 years, and you're giving me an eight and a half win total. I'll just blindly take the over. You're telling me that Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin are going to lose nine or 10 games in a season. When's the last time it happened? So eight and a half over minus 115 to me is a pretty good value. Like I said, I could see this team winning 10 games again. I just went through the, the schedule. I mean, anytime you have the Jets twice, that's nice. I think the Dolphins will be better, but New England has the opportunity to beat them twice, if not split one. Like I said, I don't like their chances week one. But anyways, some easy wins here. I mean, the Bears, the Browns potentially without a starting quarterback. It could be Jacoby Brissett there. And you know Bill Belichick is going to be able to dominate Jacoby Brissett. He coached him for the first three years of his career. You know, some easier, you know, games here. Um, so I, I think that final stretch, uh, if they can maybe split or even just go one and three there, they should be good. I think they'll be fine. I mean, the tougher opponents, um, the Colts, you know, the Vikings, maybe the Cardinals, the Raiders. I mean, they can win those games. Those are just the more noteworthy ones. So I'll take over eight and a half. I don't want to spend too much time there. I, I like it. I like it quite a bit. I just trust Bill. Um, that said, division plus 450, that's a no-go for me. I think Miami's, you know, a sneaky team to make a, a run and maybe finish second in this division, potentially. 
And if not, um, Buffalo obviously is the front runner. So I don't like that. If you're going to take a stab at this team, I think it, it, probably not only the, the win total, but the conference plus 2,200 is probably your safest bet. I, like I said, if Belichick gets into the tournament, he's got a puncher's chance. That's where I'll leave that. I don't know if I'll buy a ticket on that. It's not really my favorite. I still think this team, there's just too many good teams in the AFC. But if you're telling me that I can get into the tournament and Bill Belichick's my head coach and we've got a good defense and I've got 22 to 1 odds, it seems like a feasible, you know, maybe hedge opportunity. Maybe you sell for a slight profit. It seems like some value. Super Bowl is plus 4,000. I just don't. I don't see them making it out of the AFC, to be honest. I think the cap for this team is a get hot at the right time, ride the defense, make it to the AFC championship, and probably lose to a team like the Bills or the Chiefs or one of these you know, consistent threats. The Ravens fucking could do something. The Bengals are good again. I mean, there's a, the entire AFC West is good. So I just there's a lot more firepower in the AFC. I, I don't love it, but again... 2200 for the conference they could make it to the AFC championship game and you could head your way out it's not unrealistic it's not my favorite either and then playoffs plus 160 to make the playoffs that's worth a shot to me also um again the AFC is super loaded but you know this team could easily grab that six or seven seed just like they did last year so that's worthy of a shot to me as well Okay, that's my general overview. You know, I've told you guys, I trust the organization. I trust the head coach. I do expect the offense to be a little bit more explosive this year, which is an interesting proposition when you add a very consistent defense. Um, The defense to me is not as good as last year, however. I still trust them. I love the coaching. But again, drop-off in personnel, Hightower and Jackson leaving to me is pretty big. And it's a pretty substantial downgrade to me. I mean, Malcolm Butler is a good player, and obviously the best he's ever played is in this New England system. So maybe Belichick gets another year or two out of, like, resurgent prime Malcolm Butler. Um, But the linebacking core, like I said, I mean, they still have Matthew Judon on that outside as a dominant pass rusher. They, They will be able to get pressure on the quarterback. But as far as guys like Jawan Bentley and Mac Wilson and Raekwon McMillan being responsible for a majority of the heavy lifting in that uh, inside linebacker, you know, Mac Sam position, I don't love that. And I think there might be some growing pains there. I don't know if they'll finish second in points per game and fourth in yards per game again this year. Uh, that said, winning formula, I believe, <clears throat> consistent organization. And I've given you guys my thoughts on the overview. We're going to jump into the fantasy breakdown. Again, trying to keep these episodes a little bit more trim than that fucking 64-minute monster with the Buffalo Bills. So let's dive into the fantasy breakdown for this team. We are breaking down Mac Jones, the two running backs, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson. Four receivers, although we're going to go through the receivers quick because it's kind of a hodgepodge here. We'll get into it. And then we got two, uh, two tight ends, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Really, for this upcoming season, only Henry has fantasy value, so that will be a pretty quick breakdown as well. Um, honorable mentions for this offense, backup quarterback Brian Hoyer, uh, almost a career guy in the Belichick system. He's uh, been there for a very long time. He's basically the, um, an assistant quarterback coach for Mac Jones, so that's good security. Uh, they still have running back James White. In case you guys forgot, he is on the roster, although this is probably his last year in New England. 
I told you guys they run, they drafted two running backs, running back Pierre Strong in the fourth round and running back Kevin Harris. Um, if anybody's going to make a push for touches, it's Pierre Strong. Uh, and then uh, Tyquan Thornton, the rookie receiver from the second round. We'll see how many snaps he gets this year if he's used just sparingly as a deep threat, but he is a guy to bring up, not being drafted in fantasy drafts. And then I mentioned Lil Jordan Humphrey is hanging around as well. So Mac Jones, what's Mac Jones' fantasy value like? Because he's not exciting, right? But he's actually, you know, it's more so for a dynasty or even a, a, if you're in a super flex or a two quarterback league, he's actually a guy you should look into a little bit more. He's not a guy that's going to win you week single-handedly, but he's relatively consistent. So let's dive into it. He's being drafted overall 162, which is going to put you at the back end of your drafts, uh, maybe undrafted in a 10-man, you know, maybe last pick or 14th round or whatever in a 12-man. Quarterback 22 off the board. Last year, almost identical draft position. Overall ADP 161 and being drafted as a quarterback 24. That being said, he finished actually as a QB 19 last year. Again, relatively consistent. Not too many highs, not too many lows either. Um, Overall, 2021 positional points per game, he actually finished 29th. So not that exciting. Again, he's not going to win you weeks, but he has a pretty high floor. Going into this season, he has the ninth easiest strength of schedule for the quarterback position in fantasy football. I'm thinking Mac Jones could actually be kind of a sneaky value, again, in a second quarterback league. I'm not picking him up, uh, relying on him to be a top 10, top 12 quarterback consistently. I think for daily fantasy, maybe there could be some opportunities. Again, I've I've hinted at the notion that this team will open up the offense a little bit more in Jones' second year. He looks to be a solid quarterback. He's not going to give you any rushing ability other than maybe a quarterback sneak on the one-yard line every now and then. But even there, this team has such a good physical run game. I don't see why they wouldn't just pound it with Harris or Stevenson inside the five zone. So not that rushing baseline. That's why he's not going to win you too many weeks. Let's get into his consistency. He was only a top six quarterback 5.9% of the time last year. Like I said, not great. 35th ranked in the league. There's only 32 starters in case you guys are wondering how that math checks out. Uh, He did, however, finish top 12 in 29.4% of his games. Excuse me, that's, uh, you know, quarterback 7 through 12 in 29%. Um, So he's... uh, that uh, quarterback 7 through 12 in, uh, excuse me, 24th most in the NFL. Sorry, guys, a lot of numbers. Um, however, he was a quarterback 2 in 41.2% of his games. That's where I bring in this whole second quarterback super flex league. I mean, the guy is finishing um, as a top 24 quarterback in 70% of his games. He only busts outside of the top 25 in 29.4% of his games, which is not a terrible bust rate. So again, if you just need a guy to kind of sit in that quarterback 15 to 20 range, Mac is not a terrible option to get relatively late in a two QB league. Um, let's do the tight ends next, and then we'll come back to running backs and receivers. No, we'll do running backs. Sorry, guys. Uh, Running backs. Damian Harris was the starting running back for this team last year and the most fantasy productive. I had a number of shares in Damian Harris, and he was actually really awesome to have on your fantasy team. Ramondre Stevenson is the other one who's fantasy relevant here. 
um, and we will get into both their numbers. So Harris first was a top 12 running back in 20% of his games. That was 30th most in the NFL. But this is where his fantasy value really came in. He was a RB2 meaning running back 13 through 24 on the week in 46.7% of his games. That's pretty fucking awesome. That was the third best as far as RB2 finishes in the entire league. So when you take a look at his total top 24 finishes, 66.7%, two-thirds of his games played, he's given you an RB2 at least. That is 15th best in the NFL. So he was super consistent at not dropping the ball out um, or not dropping the floor out on your team. Very, you know, again, kind of a guy that's touchdown dependent. Unfortunately, he doesn't do much in the receiving game. And he did have, I don't have it off the top of my head, I think 16 touchdowns, maybe even 18 last year. So really, that was a lot of his fantasy production. Production. He had a couple games where he had two or three rushing touchdowns. Maybe it goes down this year as Stevenson sees an expanded role. We can get into that in a second. Um, Damian Harris, to wrap up his consistency ratings, he finished uh, running back 25 through 36, uh, 20% of his games. That's an RB3. And then he busted out of the top 36, 13.3% of his games. That is a very low bust rate. So again, this guy was the definition of consistency last year. Again, a lot of it on the back of rushing touchdowns. Now, Ramondre Stevenson is a second-year guy that a lot of people are talking up as potentially maybe in a comparison, he's the A.J. Dillon to Damian Harris's Aaron Jones, where, you know, almost every offseason we get more and more excited. Is this guy going to, you know, is he going to surpass him for running back one in the backfield? And I think it could happen this offseason. A big part of, uh, of why I like Ramondre, especially long-term, over Damian Harris is because Harris's contract is up at the end of the season. And I mentioned earlier in the episode how Bill Belichick and the Patriots have a, a really fantastic ability to recycle corners year in and year out and not pay them that massive second contract and get exceptional play out of them for a short period of time and then move on. Running back is the same fucking shit. I mentioned, you know, Corey Dillon, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, Steven Ridley, LeGarrett Blunt. Sony Michelle, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, you're the next guy. Congratulations. You'll probably be a fantasy stud for two years, and then we'll never hear from you again as Belichick dumps you off. It's just kind of what happens. Stevenson is better in the passing game than Harris. And in the um, games where Harris missed time, Stevenson was an absolute fantasy stud. It was really great. On one of my teams, I had Harris and then I picked up Stevenson off of waivers a few weeks into the season. And any game where Harris was ruled out, Stevenson was just an auto plug and play RB top 15, you know, usually for fantasy. So it was pretty fucking awesome if you could grab them both because it's an automatic handcuff. Um, this year, I see Stevenson chipping into the carries a little bit. Like I said, Harris in his final year on his contract, you know, it could go one of two ways. Belichick could run the fucking rails off him and say, we're going to burn you out and save the tread on Stevenson, and then we'll plug Stevenson in next year. Or it could be a thing where halfway through the Steve, uh, season, we realize, and Bill realizes, that Stevenson is just the better player, and he doesn't have to be committed to Harris because he's going to be leaving in three months anyways, and then it's kind of his show. I like Stevenson. He's being drafted this year as the running back 39. Um, so let's compare those ADPs. Um, 
Damian Harris uh, currently being drafted as running back 26. Stevenson is the 39. Um, Harris overall 65th player. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson 111th player. So you're talking about the difference between a sixth round pick and an 11th round pick. And at the end of the season, uh, Stevenson could be the um, main guy in the backfield. Uh, last year, Damian Harris being drafted almost identically, overall 63, uh, running back 26. So even though he finished overall as the running back 8 last year in fantasy, he's only being drafted as the running back 26 this year. I think that goes to show you where the market is at in terms of the expectation for Stevenson to have an expanded role. If a guy finished running back 8 last year and he's being drafted at 26, I don't think people are believing he's going to repeat that. And that's kind of where I'm at too right now. Um, so Harris played uh, 15 games last year. He was RB 12 in points per game. Again, really good. Uh, Stevenson last year was basically going undrafted. He was off the board at 144, running back 48. Ended up finishing running back 36. Technically, he played 12 games last year. But some of those games, he was not seeing any work. Finished running back 36 in points per game. I will mention that the New England Patriots have the second easiest schedule for fantasy running backs this season. I think these guys will continue to have a lot of value. My preferred pick is to take Stevenson in the 11th over Harris in the 6th. So consistency-wise, Harris uh, finished a top 12 running back uh, 20% of the time, Ramondre 16.7% of the time. Keep in mind, Ramondre played three less games. Um, Harris, 30th most top 12 finishes, Stevenson, 39th. Uh, as far as RB2 production, I told you guys, Harris, 46.7% of the time. Ramondre Stevenson, 25% of the time in that RB2 category. That was 20th best. Uh, he finished top 24, 41.7% of the time. That was 29th best in the league. Finished RB3, 8.3% of the time, and busted 50% of the time. Again, you know, he's going to have a different role this year than last year, I think. So some of those metrics, you just got to throw out the window. I've given you my thoughts on the running backs. Um, I don't expect uh, James White or Pierre Strong or anybody really to have much fantasy value this season. Let's dive into this cornucopia of random parts at the receiver position. Uh, we've got Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar. No real names to get excited about. So let's go through this kind of quick. None of them are being drafted too high. Actually, Jacoby Myers has the highest ADP right now. He's going off the board 145 overall at wide receiver 61 versus Devontae Parker at 155 overall wide receiver 65. Uh, these guys, their ADP is pretty consistent with where they were going off the board last year, wide receiver 59 and 56, respectively. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, both those guys finished almost identically in fantasy value last year, um, 70th and 71st at the wide receiver position. So nothing special. Uh, they both only played 10 games. And, um, yeah, let's just skip that. Um, the Patriots wide receivers have the eighth easiest um, fantasy schedule for receivers. The other guys are Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. I will just say this. Neither is being drafted in fantasy this year. I don't want to spend too much time in it. Kendrick Bourne actually sneakily was the wide receiver 33 last year in fantasy. That blew my mind when I was doing research for this. 
I see his role going directly to Devontae Parker this year. So if you want to take a shot on Parker, you know, being drafted at the basically last pick in your fantasy drafts, I think that's feasible because Bourne had a decent amount of uh, just touchdown-based production, and that could go to Devontae Parker as well. But Bourne and Aguilar, just don't draft them in your fantasy leagues. It's really not worth it. It's not worth getting into. Aguilar is a guy that has had two good seasons in his NFL career, and outside of that will probably never do anything again. He was a bust in Philly. He had a good season in 2017. Everybody had a good season in 2017. That's the best Eagles team of all time. And then he had a kind of flash in the pan, one-year resurgence in uh, Las Vegas slash Oakland, whatever they were. Hasn't done anything after signing a free agency contract with the Patriots. Not relevant. I'm not even going to go through these guys' consistency rankings either because Parker was on the Dolphins last year and was injured half the season. And to be honest, my uh, consistency ranking source doesn't have data on Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar. Jacoby Myers, I'll say, is slightly interesting in a PPR, but uh, he's not the most explosive receiver and he doesn't catch touchdowns. And I think especially with the addition of Tyquan Thornton, if Thornton can um, impress in preseason and rookie camp, I could easily see him taking over that kind of uh, as a more explosive slot guy and Myers' role could go away. So I'm not in love with this. If I'm taking a shot on a guy, it is Devontae Parker with the last pick in my draft. Um, it's just kind of uh, tough to predict, you know, really if any of these guys are going to be studs for fantasy. Uh, there's one more really like consistently relevant player for fantasy that we got to get into. We'll cover both tight ends. It's Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Um, Jonu Smith, don't draft him this year. He's a guy that I've been in on the past two or three seasons, and it just hasn't played out. He showed a lot of flashes in his time in Tennessee, especially when Delaney Walker was still there. And then in the games that Walker would miss towards the end of his time, Jonu would come in and just make plays and look great. And I really thought he had the potential to break out in his final year in Tennessee, but that didn't work. They let him walk. He got paid a bunch of money in New England and then just underperformed as well. He didn't finish as a top six or top 12 tight end once last season. Um, he finished overall as the tight end 35 after being drafted as the tight end 13. Only 4.2 points per game at the tight end position. Just don't do it. The guy to draft here if you're going to take a shot is Hunter Henry. They do have a pretty easy schedule as well, fifth easiest against fantasy tight ends. So this, as far as a schedule, really pretty easy matchups across the board from a fantasy perspective. It's just kind of tough to predict what this offense is going to look like and who's going to produce, aside from, I guess, the running backs. Hunter Henry, though, <clears throat> currently being drafted 130th overall. That's 13th round in a 10-man. Um, being drafted as the tight end 14, it's really not bad considering... Um, he did all right last year, mostly on a touchdown production, but he finishes the tight end 10 and he's being drafted at 14 this year. So um, he played 16 games. He finished 13th overall at the tight end position in points per game. And like I said, fifth easiest schedule. We'll look at his consistency. He finished top six tight end only 17.6% of the time, which was 15th best. But he cracked that top 12 at 47.1% of the time, which was ninth best. Overall, um, you know, getting into that top 12 at a rate of about 64%, which is pretty good. Um, he finished outside of that... Uh, 
He finished outside of that top 12 at 17.6% of the time, going 13 through 24, and he busted at a 35.3% rate. So actually, that is not exactly what I said. Um, No, yeah, 63% top 12. That'll work. Those numbers add up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's Hunter Henry. Sorry for the sloppy finish to this, guys. I got to be honest, didn't have enough coffee this morning. But I I think I did pretty well in the first half of this segment. The the fantasy picture for this team is a little vague. Like I said, we could see a real philosophical difference in offense, and we could see some more explosive stuff. Um, But it's hard to kind of, you know, as far as the passing options, you don't really know who's going to go off in this offense. I, I think I said... You know, Parker and maybe even Thornton are two of the most intriguing guys to me. Hunter Henry scores a shitload of touchdowns, which is really his only fantasy um, value to me is a red zone touchdown dependent guy. But I think he will get those touchdowns. He has a good chemistry with uh, Mac Jones. And I think that uh, Belichick calls plays specifically for him in the red zone. So I think that will continue. If you want to sit back, not really invest heavily at the tight end position and just grab a guy. Kind of like I said about Dawson Knox in yesterday's episode, like really half the time, unless you have one of these elite tight ends, you're just just hoping for a touchdown and maybe like three or four catches. And, uh, you know, Henry's a guy that can do that for you any given Sunday. So it's not the worst option to take, you know, at the end of your drafts. Like I said, currently ADP is 130 overall, tight end 14. It's kind of a free chip at the tight end position to say, hey, you know, better, more often than not, he might give me a touchdown this week. So that's pretty much it for me, guys. You know, this is a consistent team. I don't think they have too low of a floor. I don't think they have too high of a ceiling. You know, it's just, it's a team that's going to be in that wild card position picture i think again um but i'm never doubting bill so that's pretty much it guys that's my breakdown we're at 45 minutes a lot better than 64 yesterday for the bills we'll try and uh you know improve these episodes every time that we record them so thanks again for spending some time with me listening to me ramble here about the nfl i'll be getting to you guys with a miami dolphins preview uh hopefully tomorrow and again you know make sure you're paying attention on the instagram on the twitter at sgr pod please like review subscribe and all that good stuff i will see you guys with our dolphins breakdown and remember to ramble on